I want this morning to follow on from Matt's preach last week. Now, if you were here last Sunday, you'll know that Matt preached an excellent word about having a pure heart. And uh, if you weren't here, let me encourage you to get it off the website, to download it and listen to it, because it was an excellent word that Matt brought. And uh, as I was listening to it, and I, and I was sort of praying about what Matt was bringing, I really felt there was a part two to what he brought last week. And uh, I hadn't particularly even planned to preach this Sunday. We had to make some changes to our schedule for that. But I really felt that God wanted to add to what Matt brought last week and build on that foundation about having a pure heart. And so that's where this word this morning has come from. It won't necessarily be a very long one, but I felt as I was listening to Matt last week, he laid an excellent foundation. And it stirred something in us, that desire to have a pure heart before God. And I felt what I wanted to add to that this morning was perhaps how you do that. And perhaps some keys that would help us in those sort of things. So if you like, last week and this week are two sides of the same coin. And if you missed last week, then uh, you can get it off the website and you can listen to that. And that, I'm sure, will help you in what we look at today as well. I wonder, have you ever, as a Christian, wanted to be more holy? Has it ever crossed your mind, I wish I was more holy? Is it just me? Please say it isn't just me. There's a couple of you. That's encouraging, thank you. Uh, But I'm guessing for most of us, even those of you who didn't put your hands up, and you should have done to keep me company, really, but I'll let you off, then probably we've thought, I wish I was more holy. I wish I was more like Jesus. Maybe you've wished you didn't struggle with certain things or there were particular problems. I just wish I could overcome that. I wish that wasn't such a big deal. Well, for many of us, I guess for all of us, at one time or another, we've thought those sort of things. Even the Apostle Paul, uh, in one of his letters, referred back to how he used to think about different things and sometimes they'd overwhelm him. You see, it is important for us to have a pure heart. In fact, it's vital for us to have a pure heart. I guess if we did a survey this morning, and let me give you a clue now, put your hand up to this one. If you, I mean, who, who would put their hand up wanting a pure heart? I guess we all would, wouldn't we? We'd all say, yeah, I want, I want that. I want that in my life. I'd want to be able to go for that. Actually, the fact whether you want that or not is probably not the issue. I think for all of us this morning, we'd say, yeah, yeah, I want a pure heart. Actually, I think the issue is how to get one. How to have a pure heart. And uh, much of what Matt talked about last week was stirring in us that desire for a pure heart before God. But I think the thing sometimes you think is, yeah, we get to that stage and think, well, how do I have that? How do I get a pure heart? And contrary to how you might feel, contrary to what you might even think, or maybe have an experience in the past, it is possible. It is possible. And it may not happen by the way that you think. So this morning, I want to look at, if you like, how to get a pure heart, or how you have a pure heart. So why don't we pray and ask God to help us with these things. Does that sound like a good idea? Some of you are with me. Does that sound like a good idea? Good. 
kids. Excellent. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. And as we spend these few moments together looking at your words, we pray, Lord Jesus, that it would come alive to us. Father, we thank you for the vitality of this word of yours. We thank you that it speaks into our life. We thank you, Lord, that it's relevant for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that it has things we need in it. And so I pray now, as we look at it together, Lord God, you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher now. We ask it, please, in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so there's four things that I'm going to look at real quick that will help us in terms of having a pure heart. The first one is be holy. The second one is look to Jesus. The third one is having the grace to say no. And the fourth thing is being filled with the Holy Spirit. So firstly then, be holy. Be holy. In, uh, in Peter's first letter, in 1 Peter chapter 1. He talks about this. Peter says this, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. Peter says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. And Peter there is referring back to Old Testament law and it's God who is saying to the people, Be holy because I am holy. And we're called as followers of Jesus, we're called as Christians to live holy lives. We're called to be holy people. And the reason is because that is what God is like. All of us want to be like Jesus, don't we? If we're following him as Christians, we think, yeah, I want to be like Jesus. Well, Jesus, we're told in Scripture, and we know, is holy. And it's when I'm going to be like him that we're aiming for. Now, holiness is not a feeling. It's not a feeling, but rather it is a state. I don't mean a state as in sort of like America, a state, uh, as you find in the states, but I'm talking about it's what you are before God. It's not a feeling, but it's rather what you are before God, because if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, as your saviour, if you put your hope and trust in him, if you've asked Jesus to forgive your sin, if you're following him, then actually God has made you holy because of what Jesus has already done. He's made us holy in Christ. So our state before God is like that. What we're called to do is now to live in the good of it, to live out holy lives. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this in one of his writings, holiness is not a feeling, holiness is a life lived to the glory of God and to his eternal praise. Good quote, isn't it? Holiness is not a feeling, holiness is a life lived to the glory of God and to his eternal praise. So as Christians, we know from Scripture that Jesus has made us holy, so therefore we're now called to live holy lives, to live in the good of it, to live like that, live a life honouring God. So I guess the question this morning is, are you living that life? Are you living that life that's honouring to him? Are you living that life that is holy? 
that is worshipping God, that is honouring him in all you do. Because you, God has made you like that. You're like that because of what Jesus has done. He's forgiven your sin if you trusted in him. He's done all that is necessary. So it's not that you can somehow do more, but rather you're called to live in the good of what God has already done for you. Be holy because I am holy, God says. Be holy because that's the sort of person you're meant to be as a Christian. That's how God has made you. That's what Jesus has made possible by his death and resurrection. You see, knowing that we're called to live holy lives, I guess is similar to saying we want to have a pure heart. Similar, isn't it? And so I guess for for all of us, the issue isn't whether we want to go for that or not, because I'm sure we'd all say we do. The issue is having some help along the way to make that possible. So the starting point then for us as Christians is what God has already done. What Jesus has accomplished on the cross. What he has made possible. What we're living in the good of because of what he has already done. We're made holy before him. We're in Christ, as Paul puts it. And he's holy. So that's the foundation. So you might say, well, how do I do that? How does it happen in reality? What happens when I wake up tomorrow morning? How do I live in the good of it? Well, that brings us to our second point, which is this. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. And I guess if you wanted a title for this morning's message, it would be that. Look to Jesus. If you've got your Bibles open, maybe you want to find the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at a couple of verses here. Firstly, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. The writer of the Hebrews says this, Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest, whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Then in chapter 12 of the same letter, in chapter 12 of Hebrews, again in verse 1, the first couple of verses say this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Friends, that's the key. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look to Jesus. Don't look at what the particular issue is you're struggling with or the problem in your life, but rather look to Jesus. It's like saying, don't look down, look up. Look to Jesus. You see, you cannot look at your sin and at Jesus at the same time. You cannot look at your problem and at Jesus at the same time. What the writer to the Hebrews is is saying is look to Jesus, focus on him, fix your gaze upon Jesus. 
You see, as we do that, other things in our lives get the right proportion. You see, if you're struggling with a particular issue, maybe it's a sin thing, or maybe there's a problem that's weighing you down in your life, the more you focus on that, the more you think about it, the bigger it becomes. And the more you think, oh, I just need to get over this or deal with that, or the more you focus on whatever that thing is, the bigger it becomes, the more power you start to give it that it shouldn't really have, and before you know it, you're overwhelmed. But rather, if you take your eyes off that and look to him, if you're looking away from what that issue is and looking to Jesus, then who do you think is getting larger in your eyes now? Who do you think is starting to captivate your gaze? Who is it that's exciting your heart? Who is it that's becoming alive to you afresh? It's him, it's Jesus. And then as you turn and look back at that thing that you were focused on before, suddenly it isn't of the same proportion anymore because you've got it in right proportions. What the writer to the Hebrews is saying here is look to Jesus. Focus on him. You see, as we look to him, other things in our lives, whatever they may be, get their right proportion. And when we focus on any particular issue, it can take us over. It can become all-consuming. It can become dominating to us. But when we look to Jesus and then look back from his perspective, then things get the right balance in our lives. So, who would you rather fill your gaze with? Or what would you rather fill your gaze with? Is it the problem, or is it Jesus? Who would you rather be captivated with? Is it the problem, or is it Jesus? Who do you want to get excited about? Who do you want to be thinking about all the time? Is it the problem, or is it Jesus? It's him, isn't it? It's him. He's the one that we'd rather fill our gaze with. So the writer of the Hebrews is really onto something here. Twice in this letter we're told to look to Jesus or to fix our eyes upon him. We're also told to throw off everything that easily entangles, the sin that, uh, that sorry, that everything that easily entangles and the sin that e- easily entangles, everything that hinders. We're told to get rid of that and focus on Jesus, to look to him. Let me illustrate it to you like this. I want you to imagine, just for a moment, that you are in your favourite restaurant. Suddenly the man looks very excited. John's mouth is watering already. You've had your favourite meal and now the dessert trolley is coming round. There the dessert trolley is, laden with goodies. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment that calories is not even an issue. So you can have anything that's on that dessert trolley. And I want to tell you not to think about the Black Forest Gatto. You must not think about the Black Forest Gatto. This is the best Black Forest Gatto that money can buy. Nobody else can make it like this. But you mustn't think about it, okay? Don't think about the chocolate sponge. Do not think about the cream. Do not think about the cherries on top. Do not think about the large portion that you can have because it's calorie free. And you can have as much as you want, but you mustn't think about it. What are you thinking about? It's the back forest gatto, isn't it? Even though I might say to you, don't think about it, just when we started to talk about it, you're thinking, yeah, that place is good. But if I said for a moment, I want you to imagine something else. I want you to imagine your favourite holiday destination. Maybe it's somewhere in this country. Maybe it's Skegness. Maybe it's Cornwall. 
Maybe it's uh, you know in the far east. Probably it's somewhere nice and warm. I want you to imagine you're in your favourite holiday destination. You're there on the beach. There's golden sand as far as the eye can see. The sea is clear blue. It's a peaceful day. There's just a light breeze. And you've got your waiter just coming over here to refill your drinks. The kids are running around, or maybe for your ideal holiday, the kids are not running around, <laughs> depending on your stage of life, perhaps. And you're there, and, and you're with your, you know, your husband or wife, your best friends, and you're having just the time of your life. It's just the best holiday you've ever had. And uh, you're playing some water sports this afternoon. You're going to get out, and you're going to have, have a bit of fun on the sea there. Uh, and, and who's thinking about the Black Forest Gateau now? It's gone, isn't it? You see, once you start to think about something else, that which you want to get out of your mind, or even in that case shouldn't be thinking about, is much easier to go. Now, we've had a silly, very light illustration with Black Forest Gateau, which is good, (laughs) and a favourite holiday. But do you see what happens? When you're thinking of something else, the other thing disappears. And that's one of the reasons the writer of the Hebrews is onto something here. Because it's as you look at Jesus, as you look to him, as your gaze becomes captivated by him, as you maybe read the Bible and learn more about his wonderful majesty, more about his grace, more about his love for you, more about his forgiveness of your sin, more about his plans and purposes for your life, more about his unending love for you, that cannot and does not change. And as we get that right, as we focus on that, then other things start to fall away. And so if there's something that you're struggling with, be it a particular sin or maybe a problem in your life, as you look to Jesus, as your focus is him, then friends, you'll find that other things begin to fall away. Other things get in the right perspective. And suddenly that which was a huge problem before may not seem such a huge problem anymore. I'm not suggesting that it goes away completely always, though very often God does do that. But one thing definitely happens, and that's the perspective becomes correct. And Jesus becomes the one that we fill our gaze with. Jesus becomes the one that we want to be captivated by. Paul says this in his letter to the Philippians, Philippians 4, verse 8. He says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about such things. Paul knows this would work. He knew that we needed to focus on Jesus. He knew that it's Jesus that we need to become captivated with. Look to Jesus might be the summary of what we've been saying here. But as well as that, in Titus chapter 2, we find something else that helps us in this journey of having a pure heart, of following Jesus, of living lives that are holy and honouring to God. And it's this. If you want to maybe find Titus Chapter 2. Just before Hebrews, isn't it? Somewhere. Here we are. Titus chapter 2. 
Verse 11 says this. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no. Paul is talking here about grace to say no. And grace is a subject we often talk about, isn't it? We often talk about God's grace. Somebody once quipped that grace could be described as God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's one way of putting it. It's it's undeserved, isn't it? Grace is receiving God's mercy, receiving everything he has for us that's undeserved, that we couldn't earn, that we couldn't pay for even if we tried. It's receiving it by his grace. And so God's grace comes to us in order to trust in him to start with. God's grace makes it possible that you and I can trust in Jesus because of his grace. It's nothing that you've done. It's not that you can become a Christian because somehow you're extra special and you tried hard and you got enough brownie points. It's purely because of God's grace. Purely because of his mercy, his choosing. So God's grace is there right at the beginning, right at the very uh, point that we begin to respond to him working in our lives. But as well as that, God's grace comes to us to enable us to live lives that honour him. And Paul here is talking about grace to say no. Grace to say no to things. He knows that things will come to tempt us. He knows that things will come to try and dissuade us away from God. But Paul is saying there's grace here to say no to those things. Grace that teaches us to say no. And so just as we talk about God's grace in terms of becoming a Christian, of trusting in Jesus to start with, Friends, God's grace is key to us in continuing as a Christian. You can't continue as a Christian, in fact, without God's grace. It's how you continue as a Christian. It's how you move forward in the Christian life. It's how you work out your relationship with him. Because he has made it possible. Yes, we want to live lives that honour him, that are holy to him. But by doing that, we don't make the relationship with God possible We just honour him. We worship him by doing it. What makes it possible? His grace. His mercy. So grace comes to us to teach us to say no to these things. And finally, my, my fourth point here is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody once said that Christianity was the only religion where it's all done for you. In every other major world religion, you have to do something. But with following Jesus, it's been done for you. And I guess what they meant was that in order to follow Jesus, he has made it possible. He's paid the price. He's forgiven your sin. He's the one that died on the cross. He's the one that was raised again. He's the one that has opened up the way to God the Father, to us. So it has been done for us. And in terms of our salvation, that's true. Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished. 
It is completed, he may have said. It is done. All that was required. But Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, says this. Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So what does that mean? Well, the message puts it like this. It says, what I'm getting at, friends, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation. Reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy. An energy deep within you. God himself willing and working at what you will give him, at what will give him the most pleasure. Do you notice the key there? Notice that little phrase? That energy is God's energy. That energy is God's energy. Maybe like me, at some point in your Christian life, maybe in the past or for some of you, maybe even now, you figure that the way to be a Christian, the way to follow Jesus, is to try harder. It's just to work harder at it. And you're used to trying hard in your job maybe, or in your studies perhaps. You think, well, actually, I'm sure the key here is just to, just to work harder at it and to, 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 be, to be, try to be better. And maybe you've tried like that. I know I did for, for quite a while. And I discovered that it didn't work. Because although I could try harder with all the energy I might muster, ultimately it wasn't enough. The key for me and for you, and what we read here, is God's energy. That's the difference. It's not in your own strength, it's in his. We continue to work out our salvation, but it's in his strength and his power. What do you think that is? It's the strength and power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 18, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Or a better translation might be, go on being continually filled with the Spirit. You see, without that power of God in your life, you won't be able to live a holy life. You won't be able to have a pure heart. Actually, because even if you try your hardest on your own, we can't do it. But with God's power at work, with his energy, with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, things are totally different. We read in the New Testament, when Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit, he compares it to the power of God that raised Christ from the dead. He doesn't say it's just like it, it's similar. It's the same power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, which I guess if you had a a powerometer, if there's such a thing, maybe a a big scale from one to, I don't know, ten maybe, if you were to say, you know, at what point would would you strike where the power of God that raised Christ from the dead is, it's going to be pretty high, isn't it? Probably it's a good 9.9, if not a 10. Would you agree? 
Well, what Paul says is, it's the same power that's at work within you to live a life that honours God. It's not a little bit of the power, it's not just a grade one amount of the same thing. It's the same power that's available to you to live a life that honours God. It's not just similar to it, it's not just like it, it's not just, you know, it's it's sort of the same, you'll you'll do well there. Well, Paul says it's the same. It's the power of God that is in you, it's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. So friends, we should be fairly powerful people, wouldn't you agree? That's a fairly dynamic power. I love watching, um, maybe you've seen them on television, uh, explosions where they knock down buildings. And it's wonderfully clever, isn't it? They knock down a block of flats sometimes. And they sort of fill it with explosives and detonate it in such a way that the building sort of, sort of crumbles and it sort of drops vertically, doesn't it? It's fascinating to see it. And the way they do it is very clever. And there's a lot of power there. And this explosion that sort of detonates and the block of flats tumbles, you think, there's probably quite a lot of dynamite there, or whatever the explosive is they may use. That is nothing compared to the power of God that is at work within you and within me. It's the power of God, the Holy Spirit. So God wants to come to you and bring that power, that energy and that grace to you. So if you think, well, you know, I'm struggling to have a pure heart, you might say, or I'm struggling to follow Jesus. You know, you, you don't know what it's like, Graham, and my work situation is difficult, it's tough, or, or just with, with my friends it is hard. Listen, the power of God is available to you. And it's the same power. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And I believe this morning God wants to come to people afresh and release some of that power to you. We've looked, haven't we, about being holy. And we can be holy because God has made us holy. And he now calls us to live holy lives. We've talked about looking to Jesus. As we look to Jesus, he is the author. He is the perfecter of our faith. It's him that we should get captivated with. It's him that we need to set our gaze upon. Him that needs to excite us afresh. We've looked at receiving grace to say no. Grace to turn away from things. Grace to follow Jesus. And we've been reminded too of the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. To go on being continually filled with the Holy Spirit and experiencing his power at work in our lives. Why don't we stand and we're going to just wait on God for a few moments. If the band can come back, please. going to worship. Can we sing Jesus, lover of my soul? Can we do that? Is that okay? I believe this morning that as we pray, I do feel that God wants to come afresh to people and uh, bring fresh grace. And uh, maybe you think, yeah, actually, I remember what it was to have God's grace when I became a Christian, but I'm not sure what it means to live in the good of it. I feel God wants to come to you afresh this morning to receive maybe his forgiveness and grace to go again. 
I feel too, maybe for some of you this morning, God wants to come to you and uh, wants the power of God to be released in your life afresh. Be filled with the Holy Spirit, is what Paul said. And I feel for some of you this morning, uh, God wants to encourage you to be filled with the Holy Spirit afresh. So we're going to sing in just a second, Jesus, lover of my soul. And as we do that, if you want to respond to God this morning, if, if you think, actually, I need to know God's grace afresh in my life, if you're thinking, yeah, I need to know the power of the Holy Spirit afresh within me, if you need grace to say no, just help looking to Jesus, then I feel God wants to do something in people's lives this morning. And I want to urge you, come forward and stand in the front and we're going to pray. And as we pray, I believe God will meet you and come to you afresh. I really feel that God is, is in this place this morning. We know I mean, God is always with us. God is omnipresent. We believe that. It's theologically true. But as well as that, we read in Scripture something of God's manifest presence. The presence of God coming to a particular place, particular time, to certain people. I feel God wants to come this morning. So let's pray. Then we're going to sing. As we sing, then if you want to respond this morning, and you come, we're going to pray for you. And I believe God will meet you afresh. Father, thank you that you've made it possible for us to have a pure heart, to live holy lives. Thank you, Lord, that it's not just some goal that we should attain for, that we'll never make it, but rather you've made it possible, Lord. Thank you that we are holy in your sight. Thank you that you look on us and see the purity and holiness of Jesus. Thank you that you've given us grace to say no to things. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we're encouraged to look to you. And thank you, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us. And so I pray now, Lord Jesus, that you would come. Father, you would come to particular individuals. And Lord, you would meet them afresh. Lord, whatever situation they may find themselves in, wherever they may be, Lord Jesus, I pray you would come now. In Jesus' name, we ask it for your great glory, Lord. Let's sing, let's worship God together, Jesus, lover of my soul. As we do that, if you want to be prayed for this morning, you come. You come and stand at the front and others will...